Hello Pod, Chris Hewitt here, just jumping in before the spoiler special for Spiral from the Book of Saw truly begins with a little PSA. You may be asking yourself, obviously, and indeed me, Chris, isn't this podcast a little late? Didn't this movie come out in May? And yes it is, and yes it did, well spotted. But it's late for good reason. Basically we're trying to mix things up on the uh, spoiler special subscription feed, you are going to get, from now on, spoiler specials about two weeks after certain movies' theatrical release, as in the case of Candyman, which will be up this Friday, and Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which will be up next Friday, the 17th of September. You're then also going to get spoiler specials attached to movies as they make the debut on PVOD, such as the recent F9 The Fast Saga. And with some movies like Nobody, which is up next week, and Freaky, which is due in October, we're going to aim for the film's release on DVD and Blu-ray, just to keep things nice and varied, nice and mixed, and nice and interesting. Home entertainment, folks. You gotta love it. And that is exactly what we're doing with Spiral from the Book of Saw, which is now available to rent and buy on DVD, Blu-ray, 4K, digital, and basically anywhere you can get this stuff. So there you go. That's my explanation. That is my little PSA. And now, with that out of the way, enjoy the spoiler special for Spiral from the Book of Saw. Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of spoiler special podcasts. This one is dedicated to the 9th, the 10th, it doesn't matter because it's a reboot. It is setting the score back to zero installment of the Saw franchise, Spiral from the Book of Saw, in which Chris Rock comes along and injects this franchise with a new lease of life. Or does he? Etc, etc, etc. And joining me to discuss this movie over the next minutes are two of the finest pieces of Jigsaw. What? Ah, oh dear. It's late, I'm tired. Uh, <laughs> that I could possibly find. Helen O'Hara. Hello. And John Nugent. Hello. The man responsible for the two-star review of this movie in Empire. I see where he's going to land in this movie. Now, we already know, obviously. But before you hear from the three of us, let's hear from the film's director, Darren Lynn Bowsman who makes a return to the Saw franchise. He directed Saw's 2, 3, and 4, and then he went off to plough his own furrow, whilst the franchise kind of sputtered to a halt without him. But he is back with this one. And uh, I had a chat with him a few weeks ago about the movie, its twists and its turns and its traps, and a good time was had by all. Hope you enjoyed as well. Here we go, Darren Lynn Bousman. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the director of Spiral from the Book of Saw, Mr. Darren Lynn Bowsman. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being here. Uh, it's uh, it's very late at night over here. So if my questions are even more incoherent than normal, then please, <laughs> please forgive me. What, what's it, what, what time is it? It's quarter to 11. It's, it's quite late for me. It's quite late for me. This is my last interview of a like very long week. I've been every night. Like, I'm an old man. So that's, uh, that's <laughs> yeah, that's really late. All right. So that might explain why my first question is going to be very, very stupid. This is a spoiler special interview, so we can get deep, deep, deep into it. And uh, that's, yep. just, that's just to start right off the top. 
by talking about your your bad guy, your murderer, Shank, William Shank, played by Max Mengele. He doesn't have a name. He doesn't take a name for himself. So I was yeah. wondering, did you at any point consider calling him Pigsaw? <laughs> no, no, that's a, that's a first. Uh, you know, the, the script went through many iterations. Um, at one point, he was called the organ donor. Uh, and then that kind of got cut out. I cut that scene out of the movie. It just slowed the film down. But I think what I love about, you know, specifically this film and the character, if you go back and rewatch Saw 1, uh, Jigsaw is very rarely in the film. Uh, he's on the floor. He's dead. His head's blown off. It's not until the very last two minutes that that Jigsaw stands up off the floor and you realize this is John Kramer. He's been alive. It's not until Saw 2, 3, and 4 that you really get to delve into the psyche of this guy. Mm. Um, I wanted to take the same approach with uh, Spiral. I wanted you to think you knew someone and then realize at the very end, you know nothing about them. Um, and so he was he was conceived of to be a mystery. But how do you make someone a mystery if they're on set and on on camera, the, you know, the entire first 45, 50 minutes of the movie? Mm. Uh, and that's that's why, you know, a lot of things he says is I don't want to say double entendres, but mysterious. And that's why he doesn't have a real name is that we don't want to give you all the information about who is basically will be our new villain that we're going to be following. And uh, a lot of what he says is, you know, loaded in a very, very wonderful way that thrillers do, you know, when you're, when you're preparing audiences for you second time around, second time around, everything he says has a double meaning to it. Um, And that, that must be a lot of fun to, to layer the script in with things like, you know, I've been waiting for this since I was 12 years old. He's the reason I'm doing this little innocuous lines first time around. I tell you, um, people have asked me what the hardest thing is in, in, in this particular movie. It was convincing Max to say the lines I needed him to say to make the end of the movie pay off. And I'll give you what I mean by that is that is not a line that an actor would normally say a, a character like I've been waiting for this since I've been 12. But you have to say that in a Saw movie because you have to make it pay off. So he has to find a way to sell it that you don't put a complete spotlight on it. And you understand same thing with like, uh, he's been, someone's been pulling all the strings all along. Well, I knew in my mind that I wanted that to be the strings of Samuel L. Jackson's character, that when he says that you're going to see Samuel L. Jackson being marionetted. So all of these lines that are critical uh, that I needed had to be said by an actor who had to make them make sense to himself to say them. So it was a, that was a battle on set every day, but how can we make this make sense for him to actually say these lines? <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, and Shank, Shank, can we, we should we should we call him Shank or you know? Yeah, I, go I, ahead. Shank's yeah, good. Shank's good. Shank's Shank's fine. And because uh, uh, the film was called the working title was the organ donor at one point as well, wasn't the organ it? Donor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. I wonder if that might catch on. Should you go down down the line with with that as well? Go down the line um, with it, yeah, yeah. But he's he's really interesting in that he is one of those classic. You know, there's a rise over the last few years of of villains who have a point. And I spoke to Chris earlier on tonight, and so I know that this movie was was conceived, written, shot, and edited basically before the explosion of the last George the last Floyd, years of yeah. George Floyd and uh, BLM and everything that's happened in, in the States in particular. But it's hard not to look at this movie, which you have a bad guy, quote unquote bad guy, of course, who is wanting to essentially dismantle cops, dismantle an institution, defund the police and, and, and hold bad guys in the police force to account and not see that it has 
relevance and resonance today. So is that something that you leaned yeah. into as you were making the movie, as you were editing it, or is that something that was just no, you know, serendipitous? I've always, I as a, as a filmmaker and as an artist, always stayed away from politics or religion, at least to, 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 to um, shout my own beliefs. Uh, but what I will say is, is that this movie, you know, what's I think more telling than anything was this was going on back then as well. It's not just George Floyd. George Floyd was the tipping point, the breaking point. So it's been going on for years and years before that. Uh, but I think, you know, the, the, the correct, the, the true answer is ever since Saw 1, cops have been the B storyline. They've always been the B storyline. Saw 2, it's Detective Matthews it's being uh, come after. Saw 3 or Saw 4, it's Rig. Uh, mm -hmm. the, these, these officers are always the central point, but they're always the B storyline. With this one, we said if we're going to reinvent the Saw franchise and we're going to no, reinvent, if we're going to come back as a standalone thing, let's make them the A storyline. And you mentioned the word institution, and that was kind of my mantra is that Jigsaw wanted to reform an individual and try to change an individual. So you take a drug addict or an abuser and you hold a mirror up to their face and say, you're fucking up your life and I'm going to put you through this fucked up situation to make you appreciate what you have. This is about reforming institutions uh, as opposed to an individual, because I think that if, if what, what I love about this idea is that all the police became fearful during this. He took a few officers and then everyone in the force became scared they were next. It put everyone on blast because he is now making a bigger impact with his test as opposed to an individual. He is now doing it to an entire institution. If we were going to take this approach, though, it was critical for me that the hero also be in the same division. So while the villains in this piece are the corrupt people are the officers, the hero is also the officer as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Chris is out there trying to stop all of this. So I thought that was an interesting dynamic that while you're putting a spotlight on the corruption, you're also letting the hero be from that same division. Yeah, it was interesting because there's, there's obviously overtones and echoes of, of Serpico, um, it, which is what it immediately sprang to mind with, with Chris's character. Uh, you know, who is, who's a flawed man. I mean, he is, he is, yeah. he's a flawed character, but interestingly, he is a good cop and he's a, an honest yeah. cop. As far as it goes, of course, he, he, you know, he breaks, he breaks that dude's leg, <laughs> of course, but and he takes a picture for the gram. He has to get a picture for the gram on that. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, of know, he, he is flawed. And I think that's what makes the best characters, flawed characters. He's trying to do the right thing. Um, you know, he, that's why he's that's why he is in the way he is in. He he turned in a corrupt officer and it fucked his life up. It pissed his dad off. It, it made him the outcast on the force because he did the right thing. He was he was ostracized. Uh, so I thought that was just a, it was a, it was a really cool way into this character, someone who did the right thing and he was pushed out. You've talked about uh, you've mentioned that you possibly see Shank moving on and following that character. And certainly he's alive at the end of the movie and seems to be getting away at the end of, of the movie as well. Um, and is this a character that you you are essentially setting up as not necessarily the next John Kramer, but as someone who can maybe carry, you know, the next couple of movies at least? Yeah. So so the one thing I'll say is there will never be another John Kramer. There is only one Tobin Bell and that mother that, that guy is a national treasure. Um, you know, uh, something that's I think fascinating about what what's happening with the Saw universe, and we've seen it over the last year as we've kind of finished this movie and, and and really dived in, is that just because this is the ninth installment of the Saw franchise does not make this Saw nine. This is Spiral. It just happens to be the ninth one we've done. There still could be a 
traditional true Saw 9 that follows the storyline of Hoffman and Logan and all of those characters. And I think that Spiral can have a sequel. And there might be another already talking about a TV series, which will follow a completely different storyline. So you have this like metaverse, like, uh, you know, the Annabelle series was to Conjuring mm-hmm. or the Marvel series has been doing, where I think you can have numerous storylines all taking place in a universe in which Jigsaw was real. So, yeah, the idea would be that we continue on the saga of Spiral, but that does not mean we stop the saga of Saw. They both can exist simultaneously. And uh, yeah, that's very interesting. And also what's interesting is Shank's relationship to Jigsaw and to John Kramer, because as you say, you've, you've gone down the disciple route before and he's not that. He seems to be something different. He seems to be plowing his own furrow. And you also have just those, those couple of pictures of, of John Kramer that appear in the movie. Yeah. So was that, was that, was that hard in a way? Were you tempted to maybe throw in a, a little extra cameo here or there? Yeah, there was a lot of discussions about bringing Tobin back. And, and you know, Tobin and I have remained close. He's remained close with everyone. It was a hard decision. I'm telling you, like, I, I actually was a little fucked up by it because he's such a good friend and, and someone that I respect a lot. But it came down to what's best for the movie. And I think it, it's doing spiral a disservice to put Tobin in there mm. because it's like... um. It's like uh, going to a friend's barbecue and bringing a flame and yawn from the best steakhouse in the world. Uh, <laughs> how do you compete? How do you compete with that? You got to judge that barbecue for what you're cooking on the grill right there. And I think that for this, we wanted to do a different version of saw. We wanted our own meat. We wanted to grill it the way we wanted. And we didn't want you referencing something else, something familiar. So it was critical not to put Tobin in the movie because I didn't want the rest of the movie people comparing, uh, you know, this amazing steak from an expensive steakhouse to the backyard burgers that I wanted to make. Um, And that was what we set out to do. I wanted it to have a different flavor of saw. Um, It it has a lot of familiarities. It has the traps, it has the Charlie Clouser music. It has, you know, it has a lot of those twists and turns, but it's its own thing. So I think it was critical that this movie stood on its own. And also I'll tell you, you know, since I had nothing to do with Saw 5, 6, 7, 8, um, I kind of got upset, not upset, as a fan, I was, I found myself constantly kind of sighing when I saw Tobin appear in movies because he was so underused. He was like a flashback. And it was how to figure out how to put him in a flashback of a flashback of a flashback because we have interwoven the Saw mythology so much. It is so complicated. It is, it is hard to figure out how he exists in a flash. We know everything about him. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to try to pigeonhole him in this flashback just for the sake of putting him in the movie. So uh, it was this battle. And finally, we decided that the best way to move forward was to, to not try to, to have John Kramer and not to put the Billy doll in there and let this be its own thing. Now, that said, if I could ever make a movie with Tobin Bell and Shawnee Smith again, I would go back in a second, in a second. Uh, but this is not that movie. This is not that movie. Uh, so let's talk a little bit more about, about Shank and his relationship with Seek. There's a moment towards the end where, just before Seek is aware of exactly what is happening to his dad, when he seems to be temporarily at least swayed by Shank's argument, now, is he just playing along or is he actually thinking, you know what, this guy is maybe possibly onto something? Well, I mean, I think there's a, hip- a hypocrisy at play where you want to turn in the corrupt police officers, but here's your father. He is he is the head of corruption. 
Are you going to turn him in? Let's take another step further. Are you going to stop his corruption? Are you going to make an example out of him? And in a, it, it was it's a, it was a great moment for Zeke because, you know, Zeke has stood by this thing of turning in a corrupt cop. But now here's his dad here that we just learned was the head of all this corruption. And, and William offers him the, the, you can end it right now. We can, we can stop the chain right now and you can prove that you're with me. And I think it's just a great, it's a great thing. Chris and I went back and forth on, you know, what he actually felt about this, but here's the reality. Nothing is more important than blood. And I think that, you know, that that's not something you can just pull a trigger on. Even if you didn't agree with what your father did, mm-hmm. it is your father. So I think it was a, it was a great moralistic choice for, for uh, Zeke to try to figure out. And I think that William, there was no way that, that uh, Marcus Bank was ever going to live either, either. Zeke shot him or Zeke shot the pulley that shot him down, but in that way he was going to die by the other police. So it was more so than anything. It was just William testing Zeke. Can I trust you as we move forward? Or am I going to have to work completely alone? And that's, that's what it ended up being. It seems to be a fairly definitive, I have to work alone. Um, And it's going to be interesting to see if, 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 if Zeke is around in any subsequent movies, what, how he feels uh, about, about William Schenck, uh as well. But I have to ask uh, also about that, that last, that sort of the way the movie comes together at the end, we have, you have Marcus being riddled with bullets by the, by the SWAT team. You have Shank getting away. And then the very last shot of the movie is Seek just screaming with rage and grief and everything, the whole mix. Um, that's uh, that's a heady mix. Uh, can you talk about how you orchestrated that? Yeah, I mean, I think the saw, one of the things about Saw that have always been fantastic is those last three minutes when Hello Zep comes up, which is the name of the theme which Charlie Clauser uses. And for every movie, he's redone Hello Zep and added to it and changed it. So we knew that that it had to be a powerful ending. Um, there was a lot of discussion: Are we really going to kill Sam Jackson? Are we really going to kill this character because he's such a great character? Um, but in the same way that I felt it was, it was critical that we killed Jigsaw and Saw 3, I was like, the way that you keep fans coming back is you have to do the unexpected. You have to go places they're not expecting you to go. So I said, we should lean into killing them. It shouldn't be one or two bullets. We should, we should completely Bonnie and Clyde him with a barrage of bullets. Um, so there's no chance this guy survived this thing. Then you have the emotion of Zeke realizing that he has been duped. Uh, realizing that, that that he's about to lose the only family he has left. Basically, his wife left him. He doesn't have his kid. Now he uh, is going to lose his father. And then you have the also the fuck you of the killer got away that was literally with you the entire time. So it's that it's that mixture of the music, the sound design, and the realization of all these characters, storylines converging, which are my favorite. It's my favorite element of the Saw films in the last five minutes. Did you experiment with any other endings? Did you experiment with any other shots or, or holding shots? There was a lot of other endings. Um, nothing that worked as well as this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, originally, I'll tell you what came in late to the game was the, was the idea of the marionette puppet. That was never in there. And I really, really, that was one of the things I'm most proud of is that I got that in there. Originally, there was no doll. There was a pig mask. Uh, and that was it. And I, I said, no, I think you need that iconography of uh, an image, uh, something that embodies what the movie is about. So we got them to agree on the marionette puppet. Um, but then I was like, we need to hang Sang up like a marionette, uh, uh, hang up Sam Jackson like a marionette. And that was met with resistance at the very beginning because I think that people thought it was going to look a lot more comical. Mm-hmm. And so I literally went and storyboarded out in every shot. And I said, this is the, the connection to the marionette. 
if you go back and watch the movie, the very first time you see the marionette, he stands there and he raises a gun and goes, and he does a sound effect and everything, which is the final shot of the movie which is Sam Jackson raising his arm with the gun. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just love that, that if you go back and watch it, the killer is there the entire time and he's showing you what he's going to do the entire time. Uh, <laughs> but the audience just misinterprets it or misrepresents what it is. I, I, I also liked his, uh, his little wrinkle of borrowing Seek's phone and then blocking Marcus in his contacts. That's, that's yeah. quite clever. I've never seen that. that that's... Yeah, you know, that's something that I've done to people as well as pranks. Like, you know, I'm a horrible person and I do horrible things to people. But like one of the funny things that I would do is I would take someone's cell phone out and you can change words in their phone. So like, you know, you can autocorrect. So I would autocorrect that it said if someone typed in the word no, it would autocorrect it to yes. And so when you hit send on no, it immediately turned it to yes. And I did yes to no. So like it, it is the funniest goddamn thing because if you're like texting someone, it's like, hey, do you want to go to dinner tonight? And then they would put in no, like I don't, but it would say yes. And that's would be like, all right, great. I'll pick you up. And they're like, no, no, no. And they'd be like, yes, yes, yes. So that to me just made me happy. Then I got to the point of pranking people and then blocking it from their phone so they can't call them back. And so I literally used my childish humor uh, in the movie to blocking someone once they texted them. And it's a, it's a plot device that works because there's, that's why yeah. Zeke is not able to hear from his father. I like it. I like it. Um, let's talk traps, shall we? Because mm -hmm. there's some fiendish traps in this movie. And again, you have this, this interesting approach to the traps. I mean, in previous Saw movies, we've seen, you know, Amanda, for example, as you know, as you, as you mentioned, is a, a disciple of Jigsaw who went too far and came up with traps that people couldn't escape from. Schenk does give people a slight margin of error, but it's only slight. He's, he's fairly unforgiving, I would say. You know, that, that finger trap with Fitch, my God. Uh, that was brutal. Um, you know, that the reality is you could live without fingers, but it would fucking hurt. And I think that you didn't have a lot of time. Like, you had to make that decision right off the bat. And we actually timed that out and figured out that he would have had to have started it the moment the tape basically told him what to do. Any delay and that was too late. But, you know, there, there is rage. And I think the, the, the rage is justified. His, his father died. Uh, it was covered up. Uh, you know, he, he lost this, this male role model in his life. And he's going after the people that he feels responsible for taking something that is so pure of his, something that father-son relationship. So there was anger there, definitely. There was resentment. Mm -hmm. And also he finds himself, and this is what I think all great killers in movies, whether it be Hannibal Lecter or John Kramer, they are trying to use uh, nefarious methods to correct injustices. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't necessarily agree with how they're doing it, but you could agree with the message. And so he is, he is basically removing what he considers to be a cancer. And he's just doing it in a very horrible, horrific way. Uh, I noticed, for example, with Paul as well, you have... There's a line earlier in the movie where he says to Seek when, when he, we first meet him in the church in the support group, and he says, the glass and the bottle can kill. Yeah, a nice bit of foreshadowing there. I'm so glad you caught that. That was, I actually went back and reshot that the next day because I was like, you know what? He, he needs to say this line to, to reference what's going to happen to him. Uh, glass and the bottle can kill you, Zeke. Uh, it's 100% it. Uh, we did that. I put that back in because it was a good nod to what actually is going to happen to him in a little bit. Excellent. And did, did you do that with any other deaths? Angie, for example, is she foreshadowed anyway? Remember. There, it, it was, I think we cut one of them out because it was too on the nose. And I think that Maricel's character, uh, Angie Garza, said something like, 
She said, there's a goddamn heat wave out here. Candles are fucking melting on my desk. Like she said something about wax, but we're like, oh, that's a little too on the nose. You got to cut that one out. (laughs) That's my favorite trap in this, in this Saw movie is the wax trap just because it's so simple. And it is so horrific when you realize that someone's being waterboarded with wax. Yeah. It just is. uh, That's, that's a harsh one. That is a harsh one. And did did you time that one as well? Is that something where you're, you're working out the, the, the real, the real world implications and how the the real world mechanics of it all. Yeah. So we, um, we actually did it with tar. I made it wax just in the movie, but it it was what tar would do to you. There was a, there was a great book I read, not great, but there was a book I read when I was a kid called flowers in the attic and Mm. uh, VC Andrews, but there was a scene in flowers in the attic where the, 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 the grandmother comes in and pours tar over one of the girl's heads because she disobeyed her. And I always thought that that idea of pouring tar on someone was just such a horrible visual. So that was something that, that we looked at and I have some horrible images on my computer that I'm sure I'm on some FBI watch list of just terrible <laughs> shit that I've looked up. And uh, just two really quick last questions. I, I want to talk about the, uh, the opening of the, of the movie because that is a, that's a showpiece saw slash spiral yeah. kill right there. Uh, and again, Shank's not giving this guy much time to get out of it, really, is he? No, you would have to jump, I mean, pretty quickly. Um, and I mean, that's the problem is, is that we, we waver. Uh, we, don't, we, we don't believe it's real. We think we can call for help. If, you know what, I, I also wonder, we, we, we try to be as accurate as possible. It would tear your throat out as well. I mean, if you, if you were to jump out with your tongue, I mean, it would, it would cause, you'd, you'd get fucked up. Like, that's not a, <laughs> that's not a, it's not a good one. Um, no, he does not have a, he does not have a long time. I think he has to, again, he had to have jumped the moment that the, tr- that he, the tape ended because he hangs there. He does eventually jump and he ha- you hang there for a few seconds as it rips the, from your throat. So, yeah. Yeah. But at least it's quick, right? Cause he gets hit by a train. So that's fine. But everyone else dies really yeah, slowly and horribly. <laughs> he should have just stood there for that because he had to die twice. He had to, he had to get the tongue ripped out and get hit by a speeding train. So <laughs> And uh, and real quick, Darren, I just want to ask about the um, there's the lovely pop culture references all the way through from the Forrest Gump uh, defenestration at the beginning of the of the film. But uh, Chris refers to New Jack City. Now he is in New Jack City. What's going on there? Yeah, he is. I know uh, he's funny, Chris. Um, there was more there was more uh, meta things than just that. That was all we left with. You know, it was just Chris. And I think Chris was, I think that was even a rehearsal that I just kept because I thought it was hilarious. But every one of those jokes, he would do it like a bunch. Like, I think the wire line is still in there too. He's like, that's some, so yeah, someone watched the wire. Uh, But he said stuff like the scene in the car where he's like, who do you think you are? Too short? Like he also would say, what, who are you? MC Hammer? Like he would say like different things every single time. But yeah, I had to keep the New Jack City because it is, it's a meta thing that it's a nod to the fan base. It's a nod to his fans. I, I just thought it was funny. Well, on that note, Darren Lynn Bowsman, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you so much indeed. All right. So that was Darren Lynn Bowsman. Now it's time for us to get into it. John, spiral from the Book of Saw, hater, Nugent, <laughs> two stars, two stars. Have you, have you softened on the movie since or where do you stand now on spiral? Be careful lest Jigsaw or his disciples get you. Where do I stand? Steve Coogan says something like, on the throat, preferably. Um, <laughs> wow, you've been watching a lot of Saw, if that's your immediate go-to. Yeah, I think two stars may even be generous. I'm not sure. I did not enjoy this film, I have to say. And, you know, I have been known to enjoy Saw films in the past. I think they can be a fun 
quite silly time at the at the picture house. Mm-hmm. You know, they're never going to win Oscars, but I think they can be. There's something quite sort of gleeful in how ridiculous and yeah, outrageous. Even even in like some of the sequ- one of my favorite cinema memories of all time is going to see Saw Three as a student, and it, the, mm. the, the multiplex was like packed with kids, like teenagers who were just in, in groups egging themselves on to watch some of the most ridiculous gore you'd ever seen. But this just feels a bit tired and a bit sort of lost in time and a bit confused. It doesn't really know what it's doing. Yeah, I wasn't on board with this one. Interesting. Because uh, certainly the franchise, I was I was a big fan of the first four movies. Saw is almost its own distinct entity now, where it's yes. so completely different from everything that came after it. Uh, but even after Bowsman left and they started getting into Saw 5 and 6, and they brought in Hoffman and some other characters, and the mythology of it all got so entangled and complex that it almost strangled itself. It almost got caught up in its own entrails and strangled itself to death. So I was hoping for a clean slate with this one, an injection of energy and an injection of fresh blood. And I was super pumped the minute this movie was announced. You know, I couldn't quite figure out what this movie was going to be. Chris Rock is a secret Saw fan. <laughs> and not only that, has come up with an idea to get the franchise breathing again. Now, the movie that's in your head when you hear that is not the movie I would say that they have made. But Helen, Mm. what are your feelings about the movie that they've made? Yeah, I'm maybe a little bit warmer on it than both of you, while not in any way being a Saw fan. I'm not a big fan of gore, no, for its own sake. And I feel like while the first film had a very elegant, very psychologically nasty premise, and of course some, you know, blood and guts as well, all of the subsequent films have gone in a more just like, spray the clarets kind of direction to to a greater or lesser degree and I was kind of hoping I thought that this might get back to some kind of elegance and I think it's it doesn't really I do think there's there's a germ of some good ideas here and there's some interesting notions about police accountability and you know who watches the watchmen kind of thing Mm-hmm. But I don't know that they're brilliantly brought out in in the ultimate film. And, and I think that's a, a kind of a shame. And I think Chris Rock, you know, is a fan of the franchise, you know, essentially kind of came up with the, the notion behind this. But I wish that, I don't know if he didn't feel comfortable in a dramatic role, but when you have him in this opening scene when he's undercover, essentially being Chris Rock, and then you switch to like the ultimate dour version of him for the entire rest of the film, it's quite jarring and so mm. I find that quite distracting as well. Not that he it doesn't give a good performance, but he's just so concerned with really reining himself in and keeping it very, very serious and very downbeat that I was almost like, I just wanted a bit more variation in tone maybe or, or something to kind of make it work. And And of course, you know, the traps are insanely gory and gross and... I don't love that as a wimp, but you know, I, I knew I knew I was getting that going in, so that was kind of okay. Did you think they'd find a way to bring Jigsaw himself back into it? Obviously, he's dead. He dies fairly yeah. emphatically at the end of Saw Three, and every appearance he's made since, every appearance Tobin Bell has made since, has been through flashbacks. Yeah. But did you think they were going to bring him into it, apart from maybe just a, a glimpse of a picture here and there? No, I was I was pretty sure that this was going to be some kind of copycat. Which again, the series has you know, form in doing. And I was kind of okay with that. I think that that's part of the the nastiness of the Saw mythos is, has been that, you know, this is a kind of self-perpetuating idea. 
that it, it then kind of rolls on and absorbs other people and that there will there will be other saws going forward, other jigsaws going forward. I thought that was mm. one of its really, I think that was, a, was that one of Darren Lynn Busman's films actually? Wasn't that one of his notions? I don't remember three and four well enough, but I think mm. that was one of the things that kind of came in and, and I thought was actually quite clever in a really horrible and nasty way, which is you basically, look, anytime I call this series clever, just assume I've added in a really horrible and nasty way because <laughs> I, I feel like that just goes every time. Yeah. Should we talk then about this idea, this the central notion? And having spoken to both Chris Rock and Darren Lynn Bowsman, it does seem to be something that wasn't really on their minds necessarily, certainly in terms of the timeliness of police corruption and in timeliness, in terms of the timeliness of everything that's happened in the last year and a half or so uh, in the States, or, or even going further back with you know George Floyd and, and everything that's happened because of its killing. This movie was obviously written, shot, edited before all of that happened, but it still feels very, very timely. It's still your central antagonist here. We'll get into whether he's a villain later on. Your central antagonist here is basically someone who wants to reform, defund the police on a structural level, like in massive institutional reform. That is basically what this jigsaw wannabe is, let's call him Rubik, is is trying to go for. And that's really interesting to me. And of course, you also have the the added angle of, of race and race mm. within the police force as well uh, with Chris Rock and with Samuel L. Jackson. And you have the, the idea of corruption within the police force as well, which isn't new, it goes back ages and ages and ages and ages. But it felt to me a little bit almost like they wanted to drop Serpico into the middle of a movie like this, which is all about compromise morality. The, those aspects of the movie are really, really interesting to me. What, what was your, what was your take on that stuff? Yeah, Sorpico. Mm -hmm. I, I, I liked the ambition of it. I liked that they were taking a swing for a specific sort of theme and idea. I don't know that they were that successful with it. I don't know that they engage with it in a sort of meaningful way. Like, and maybe that's asking too much of a franchise like Saw to to be sort of you know you you don't look for a film like this perhaps to be uh sort of socially conscious or to have like a sort of it hasn't got quite as much on its mind as your your jordan peels or your robert eggers or your ariasters but uh i yeah i just think it felt a bit muddled it didn't feel like it, it felt like they would it was motivation for motivation's sake rather than we're making a point here about accountability and corruption in the police force, if you see what I mean. It, it yeah. felt, I, I don't think it was particularly political. Um, and maybe that's a missed opportunity. Well, if you think about what the purge has become, you mm -hmm. know, that's actually become very political as a, yeah. as a franchise. And that is operating in this same kind of space of being quite horror and quite violent and, you know, action -y and everything else. So I think there is room to maybe be sharper here than they were. And and I know that this came before George George Floyd's death, but you know, it's it's years since Eric Garner's death. It's years since the Flint protests. It's, you know, this has been going on for a very long time. This is not something that only exploded last May. And certainly someone like Chris Rock has been aware of it for far, far longer than that. So I kind of do wish that they had sharpened it up a little bit. And if they're going to say police corruption is at least as bad as all of the behaviour that Saul has punished before. And let's be honest, probably worse because they are put in the position of being moral and legal guardians of the populace. 
if you're going to say that, that's a that's a good thing to say. That's a sensible thing to say. And it's something that actually we should probably say more, you know, while we all appreciate that police, you know, to the extent that they they put themselves on the line for us and they they risk their lives for us, we should also demand great behavior out of them because of the power that we give them to do that. We should demand high standards. So it's not unreasonable to say these things. And I think it's become a little bit of a political hot potato in a way that it shouldn't be. And I think that if the film had really kind of stuck to that idea a little bit more firmly than it does, I think it would have been a better film for it. Because there is a notion here, and I did get that from it, there is a notion that police corruption is is bad and that it is the kind of thing that Jigsaw would take on. And yes, mm. 100% with you there. But then it, it gets muddled because, you know, you do have a white antagonist, let's say, who is, you know, taking all taking this stance. And it's two black cops who are at the heart of it. And that seems to confuse the issue a little bit, doesn't it? No, I get that. I, I, I also do wonder if there is a, dramatically speaking, if he needed to be Chris Rock's dad, mm. necessarily. Because it seems to me that the central dilemma of the movie at the end, the very last puzzle that Shank presents Seek with at the end, is do you save this person or do you take the opportunity to join with me in beginning to do the thing that you have started down the path of Mm -hmm. doing, which is institutional reform and ratting on your fellow cops and rooting out corruption at the highest possible level in this police force. That's what I think the, the last trap should have come down to. I wonder if by making it a familial connection, even though their relationship wasn't that great to begin with. I also feel we needed more of mm-hmm. the sense of a relationship in the movie. You know, we 100%. shouldn't have had just one scene with Sam Jackson and Chris Rock before Sam Jackson is kidnapped off camera. And, um, you know, and we don't see what happens to him until very, very near the end. We needed more of a sense of that rather than just that scene where Chris Rock looks at the window and then has a flashback and oh, come the terrible moustaches. Um, <laughs> I feel that they made a, there was an error there that it, it was, it was enough for him just to be a much faunted police chief. It's quite interesting and pitying, of course, Chris Rock's character, Seek, who is basically taking a stance against corruption whilst himself being not that likable a character. Yeah. You know, whilst himself going on misogynistic diatribes and, you know, breaking dudes' legs for the sake of it. And, you know, and uh, you, you get a sense that he's he's no longer the, the saviour that he, that he once was. I think there's lots of interesting stuff wrapped up in there. Yeah, Whether it's intentional or not, I don't know. But some of that works across purposes because on one hand, you're, you're saying that he's dedicated to rooting out corruption kind of thing. But he, you know, he turned his partner... He well, yeah, exactly. He yeah. turned his partner in once, has suffered for it massively on a personal yeah. level. There, there doesn't seem to be any kind of crusade here. There doesn't seem to be any continuing pattern of behaviour. He yeah. seems to have kept his head down since then. So he had this... One yeah. shining moment, if you like, of of standing up to a fellow cop and is essentially been atoning for it ever since. And if he is breaking legs for no reason, isn't that's also abuse of police power. That's also police yeah. corruption. Mm-hmm. It's and not he, good. And he does it in front of Shank, who still mm. seems to keep well, it's interesting, is because because Shank is A insane. We should always remember. Sure. That. Yeah. And, um, and uh, you know, B, he is basing everything his entire life's work is one of those, those classic things that I'm pretty sure only happens in movies where something happens to someone as a kid and they form their entire worldview around it, which is, you know, he sees obviously his, his dad being killed and he sees that uh, Seek steps up and 
Dobbs in Paul, the cop who who did the killing in the first place. And as a result of that, he puts Seek on this pedestal. And even though he works, you know, so hard to to pull this detail as Seek's partner, it reminded me, I don't want to I, I don't want to do that thing where I start spoiling other movies in the spoiler special in case other people have had complaints about it in the past. And uh but it reminded me of another movie featuring a bunch of magicians from a few years ago. Do you know that movie I'm talking about where mm. there's a twist and a character turns out to have pulled all kinds of strings to be able to get into certain positions? And I just think that sounds fucking exhausting. It sounds so <laughs> exhausting what you're doing. How are you doing this stuff on a logistical level? Uh, but anyway, Shank has put Seek on a pedestal. And even though in his few days as his partner, he sees that that pedestal is crumbling he kind of turns a blind eye to all the bad stuff the Sikh is doing because I guess fundamentally Sikh's not killing people. He's not planting drugs in people. He's not being corrupt in that way. You know, if a perp's leg happens to get broken during an arrest, whoops, so be oh my it. Oh God, that's also police corruption, guys. Really? Yes. It's quite a broad... T- Accidents you know. will happen, Helen. Accidents will happen. <laughs> oh you should be more careful at home. Oh my God. I mean, we're Northern <laughs> Irish, Chris. Come on. <laughs> I mean, lawyers for you. That's all I'm saying. That broken leg as well felt a little bit like. Did you notice how like specifically gory it was in a way that it might not have been in other films? Like it mm. felt like, oh, here's an opportunity <laughs> for a bit of bone to stick through some skin. Like the the gore effects team were just twiddling their thumbs, and they might as yeah. might as well do something here. <laughs> but I don't know. Shank's character reminded me a little, and Helen, you've talked about this before, mm. of the bad guy who's also right. You know, it was a little bit oh, like yeah. Michael B. Jordan and Careful John. Black Panther, you know, where he's, yeah. he's sort of like, oh, he's kind of got a point here, but he's also a murderer. It's like, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's an awkward sort of cognitive dissonance you have to square with yourself. And he is um, a murderer, isn't he? Which is which is interesting because I need to go back and rewatch the first three Saw movies in particular. But the the idea of and Helen as a as a lawyer, you will obviously be able to you oh know, sure tell Saw me is about, super guilty. Like unlike Bucky, Saw is super duper guilty. So you're saying Kramer is super guilty because his thing is his thing is that he will just kidnap the people and put them in the trap. But it's their own decision. <laughs> it's their own unwillingness to act or un- own unwillingness if they just happen to die in this trap nothing to do with me governor whereas this guy's more of a you know it seems harder to escape these traps than it did some of yeah kramer's early ones does anyone actually escape no they all die don't they the only one who escapes or has a chance to escape is paul who dies of blood loss i guess when he mm. gets you know the, the all the shards of glass into him, Seek tries to save him and, and gets very, very close. And the guy with the fingers gets close, but it's a very, very tight cutoff point. He's given like 90 second time limits. Yeah, hell. That, that's, I, I don't think, look, I mean, a really, really good lawyer and a really, really incompetent <laughs> prosecution might get you down to murder too, I feel like, but I, I just don't think you're going any lower than that. I, I think, I feel like this is pretty fucking murdery. <laughs> and you can quote me on that. So, I mean, Colon, pretty fucking murdery. You, you, you're the person. You're the the soulless lawyer who wants to get Bucky off uh, in so well, many gosh. ways. <laughs> I mean, wow, that's wow. You'll never make a stand up in court. Uh, you can put it in the hand of your lawyer, but you'll never make a stand up in court. But you want to get Bucky off, and he was literally there. He pulled the trigger. He, he killed those he, motherfuckers. Mens rea, baby. Mens rea. The guilty. He mind. killed them as well. 
No, Men's rare, es- women's rare, all the rares. He killed them all. The essential, but- right, the two elements to murder. Yeah. You've got to intend or be reckless as to their death. And it's the be reckless too that I think gets every single soul death. And you've got to actually do something that leads to the death. So it's the act and the intention that mm-hmm. makes it murder. Bucky doesn't have any intention. Bucky is brainwashed. Therefore, Bucky is not morally culpable. He is not guilty of murder. This dude, fucking guilty. So says the Sebastian Stan. Uh, I don't know. I think, you know, we could reevaluate Kramer and look at him in a more positive light, I think. But anyway, this movie, Shank. Uh, Shank is our bad guy, played, of course, by Max Mengele. Uh, I have to ask you this. Did you see the obvious twist coming? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> look, I, I appreciate that the, the film was trying to make Samuel L. Jackson look super suspicious. And I think that's the reason why you, you complain that there weren't more scenes between them. I think that's why. I think they were trying to make him super sus. And therefore, they right. wanted to hold him back. Um, I think they were also trying to make, uh, what do you call her, girl captain? Um, beautiful woman. What's her name? <laughs> That's her name. That's, yes. Girl captain, beautiful woman. Is girl actually captain, beautiful the, woman, yes. yes. Um, <laughs> I, thought, I thought they were Angie. also trying to make, Angie, I thought they were also trying to make her suspicious at various points as well, just to give you another yeah. red herring. But honestly, I mean, it, it seemed like it was probably going to be the new dude on staff. Well, see, this is interesting because... Uh, Maybe it's because we're we're fairly seasoned movie watchers, but I, I we've just done another spoiler special for a movie I won't name. But that's another movie where they they go, oh, there's a bad guy, and they only present they present a dearth of candidates. Mm. So once you eliminate one possibility, then it has to be the other one. The other one, yeah. You know? And I feel that's the case here. I didn't feel they were setting up Sam Jackson to be the jigsaw type killer. And the second Max Mengele's character died off screen. I mean, who dies off screen in a Saw movie? And we have, Come on. Yeah, we have seen everyone else die in really gory, bloody fashion. And we didn't see Shank die. I was like, well, he's, that's it. It's him. It's him. It's him. It's him. And, and also just, you know, Max Mengele with the best world in the world, very, very good actor. But he does have that edge in a lot of his roles of being a little bit dodge. Just a little bit. Is that because he's uh, Max Mingella the Merciless? <gasps> You've broken this thing wide open. I have. But yeah. no, but like he's, you know, I, I don't know why he has it. Like he's a he's a handsome and I'm sure a delightful dude. But like he he just, there's a something there that does kind of fit into this kind of, maybe we should suspect him kind of a role. <laughs> it's the eyebrows. It's all about the maybe eyebrows. It is the eyebrow. They're good eyebrows. They are good eyebrows. Yeah. I mean, you you, you speak as one with good eyebrows yourself, John. So he is, you know, he is yeah. a brother. Yeah. Substantial eyebrows. Oh my God. <laughs> the brotherhood of the substantial eyebrows. That's right. Have you been framing people in a series of increasing elaborate traps recently, John? Um, I mean, this pandemic, we've all had a hobby to, to, to watch, haven't we? <laughs> I've commissioned you to write for my section. Now, does that count? This is true. There's a trap in which there is no escape. And only one thing is guaranteed. It's going to be a lot of pain and fault. None of us will see heaven. Yeah, none of us will see heaven. But yeah, I, I, that was a shame because I, I wish there had been more candidates, mm. more contenders. There is a couple of the cops who kind of melted mm. the background. It might have been them at some point. But Maybe. for me, it's, and it's a tricky one. It is a really tricky one. I didn't quite get around to, to asking Darren Lynn Bowsman about it because just from talking about Shank, it, it did seem that he felt that it, it was a, a twist up work for a lot of people. And I'm sure it will work for a lot of people as well. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a really tricky one from a storytelling point of view. How do you hide that reveal? 
Because once you take him off screen, there'll be some people going, right, that's it. He's the killer. Why do we not see that murder? So you have to, I don't know, present other feasible candidates or you have to do something more tricksy with his murder or so-called murder. You have to maybe show him pulling the wool over our eyes, you know, maybe show him being attacked by someone who maybe he's paid. Mm. I don't know, but it just, it feels to me that maybe they could have gone a little bit further in obfuscating that from people. Who knows? Yeah. I have to say I was surprised that Jigsaw didn't show up at all. Like I, I, th- I felt like they were leading to some sort of, ah, he's, he's still around somehow, but... Um, yeah, or he's a disciple of a disciple of a disciple, mm. or... Right. Yeah, or the, there's, you know, maybe he was, Jigsaw was his uncle, or... <laughs> you know, yeah. Or something, or his babysitter, or, or something <laughs> like that. Wow, Jigsaw babysitting little... services. <laughs> yeah. There is a money spinner. <laughs> just saying, just saying. What do we think of the traps, though? Because that's it's all movie. So gnarly. Yeah, they they have become more and more and more about the traps, mm. and I thought they were they were pretty good here. The finger trap in particular oh. is is going to stay with me for a while. The hot wax um, spine cord severer was also pretty fucking terrible. I, I actually don't know how that one would work. How would the machine know that she's actually severed her spinal cord to stop the hot wax? I feel like a lot of them are just guaranteed death traps. Like I don't think there's actually yeah. any real way out. And and especially in the time given. But even without that, like I feel like a lot of them are you're just super dead. Yeah. So hence murder. See? Murder. Well see see that's interesting to me because then we're getting more into the territory of Amanda, who is the Shawnee Smith character from, mm. from Saw Two, who becomes a disciple of Jigsaw, but ultimately he turns against her because she is she becomes psychotic and she yeah. starts to set up traps from which there is no escape. Yeah. And that's for a man with such a strong moral center <laughs> as, as John Kramer, that is anathema to him. So he's basically saying, no, 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 there needs to be some sort of, there has to be some sort of moral rectitude to these things. There has to be a little bit of, you know, you have to give people a chance to escape, to atone for the thing that we put them in the trap for in the first place. Yeah. Uh, even though these things are obviously absurd and over the top. So for me, Shank is actually closer to her than he is. I'd agree. He is Jigsaw. Yeah. With that, that opening trap, that's impossible to escape. The one like tear your jaw off or rip your tongue out uh, or be splattered by a train. I mean, that's fucking tough. I mean, even if he, and you know, he does actually, right? He, he does tear his tongue out. Yeah. Um, but it takes so long that, I mean, did he, did he test <laughs> the trap, you know, to see if it could be done in 90 seconds? I don't believe he did. And no. if he didn't, then, you know, again, that's at least recklessness. I think I think there's a clear case for murder here. The more I think about it, I don't even think it's murder too. Unless he's absolutely made sure that a person can be told that and can successfully negotiate that trap in 90 seconds, nine times out of 10, you know, yeah. at least, then that is that is absolutely murder. And um, and yeah, there's there's no obvious way out for any Murder, 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 murder. Murder, murder. Murder, murder. Yeah, it's a, it's a toughie. It is a toughie. You're absolutely right. How has he tested these traps? How does he know that that thing will slice off someone's tongue? How does he know that thing will rip off someone's fingers? What I want to see the trial and error. What kind of sensor tells you that, that someone has not just cut into their neck, but actually severed their spinal cord, and therefore <laughs> that you can stop dropping hot wax on them? I got the feeling with that one that he was watching her in some way. And that he would have but known. But how is he going to tell been... that she's actually severed her spinal cord? Well, when she stops moving, presumably. Or maybe she but the rest has to... of her wasn't moving anyway because it was strapped down. I'm just saying, I think there's some holes here. There, there, there are a number Not of holes here. Not just in her spinal cord. 
Yes. Number of holes here, not least of that Seek is desperately trying to get through the police station to tell him that he suspects that the police captain is being killed in their old cold case room and he can't get through. And they're basically like, ah, oh, it's busy. It's busy. <laughs> it's a busy day. It's like other people have mobile phones, you know. You can call other people. It's totally fine. Oh, yeah, bad. You know, network's down. Ooh, Probably typical. nobody gave them their number because they all hate him so much. Oh, boo, boo, boo. to Seek. Yeah. It feels faintly psychotic to ask this question, but what was your favorite trap? Oh no! So we have we have, and here's the other question as well, because the movie each trap in the Saw franchise dares you to think about what you would do in that situation, right? Mm. So what would you do if you woke up and you were standing on a stool and a voice came on a TV that somehow has powered down in the underground? And I mean. Again, the meticulous timing of all this Really is, long extension I'm, cable, yeah. I mean, wow. And then does he have a camera that he's watching these people on? And oh, what if there's a delay? Ah, oh, well, fraught with danger. Anyway, so you're standing there on a stool and creepy pig face starts saying, you can either cut off your tongue or you'll be smashed by the, the 417 to Piccadilly Circus. What do you do? I mean, I, do, I don't know and I don't want to know is, is my, my honest answer. My immediate thinking is, oh, if I rip my tongue out, it's going to be harder to do podcasts. Probably not. I, I mean, not much harder, probably. So. <laughs> and then again, if I'm splattered by a train, it's going to be really difficult. difficult to do podcasts. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So we got that trap. It's a poser. <laughs> trap two is the finger trap, um, yep. which is the do you tear off your <laughs> tear off your fingers? You can still do podcasts or get electrocuted in a big old bath. I mean, is it a warm bath? You know, are there bubbles? It will be. It <laughs> oh, will no. Be. Yes. <laughs> it will be. And there will be bubbles as your bowels void themselves. Oh, no. Trap three, of course, is the do you sever your own spinal column or get a big old face of hot wax? Mm. I think that's, that's the bad. nastiest one. I think neither of those options are very nice, are they? I don't... Yeah. Uh, severing a spinal column must be... That must be horrible. Yeah, a lot of these are, seem weirdly out of proportion or out of whack as well. So, like, that is awful, I agree. But the guy who actually shot Shank's dad gets the, by comparison, I would say, almost merciful, you know, <laughs> yes. knives of glass to the back. Yeah. I mean, you know, and he's, yeah. I think he's the one who comes closest to living, actually, which is fucking weird. And he's the one who's atoned most. Yes. So maybe there's something yeah, maybe in it's that. that. Maybe it's that, I guess, yeah. You but know. It, it does seem very, it does seem there, there are some questions to be answered about his sense of proportion and, you know, his sanity. So, yeah. Hmm. I, lo- I loved with him. And uh, as people who listen to the interview will know, I, um, I pointed this out to Darren Lynn Bowsman, who also loves this line that the, when Sikh has a conversation with Paul early on in the church, he, you know, he, he admonishes him for drinking and says, the glass and the bottle can kill. And it's, it, you know, second time around, it's like, oh, okay, that's foreshadowing his death. <laughs> okay. And they, uh, I think they added it in at the at the very last minute. Um, so that's that's trap four. So trap four is you are tethered to something, and a bunch of broken glass just flies at you and slams into your back. And I presume blood loss is what kills you in the end, or unless it slices an organ. 
potentially as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or nicks nix an artery. No, it's not fun. It's not fun no. at all. And then trap five, of course, is the Sam Jackson trap, which mm. is where you are a bled to nearly the point of death as a, as it is, which is horrible. I don't like needles. Had a uh, had a blood test recently. Nope. Will not recommend. No. No. Thank you. Don't do that. Uh, and. Uh, you're, so you're bled almost to the point of death and then you're turned into a living puppet with a shotgun uh, that is going to emerge from your arm and then some cops are going to be arranged. <laughs> this is very elaborate. <laughs> some cops are going to be arranged to come in and mistake you for a baden and then blow you away. Shoot you, yeah. Whilst Chris Rock is watching on. That's very important as well. Yeah, that that one, you know, that one's the one, again, heavy with irony, uh, like the glass and bottle. Uh, comment. I, I mean, <laughs> he was one, killed by Alanis Morissette. <laughs> <laughs> She's the killer. That one might be the least painful. You think? Uh, I don't yeah. know. I mean, I've never been bled nearly to death, but no. I, I, I think you. I don't know. Maybe being, being yeah. shot twenty times in the face would probably be fairly quick death, wouldn't it? Yeah, fairly painless. It's it's the fingers for me. It's the fingers because you know the mm, hot the wax, the hot wax. That's what that's what's drowning, right? That's that's drowning or the heat that would kill her. I mean, yeah, it seems to have ripped off her skin and also um, be uh, at risk of suffocating her. I think rather suffocating. Than drowning. That's yeah. it. Yes, that's what it is. I mean, mm. that's that's oh, that's not that's not it's good. Kind either, of like but... waterboarding except wax boarding. Oh, nobody wants that. Nope. Oh, no thanks. I begin to think the shank may not be on the up and up, <laughs> folks. I, I don't know. <laughs> you're really making me come around on him. I don't, I don't know what it is, uh, Chris. Yeah, you're, I, you're missing. Um, you're missing one trap. What, what trap am I missing? The nod to the original fake out where Chris Rock is chained to the radiator and he's got yes. a saw and then it turns out he that's like the last shot in the trailer and you think oh they're doing the thing that they did in the first film and then it turns out he, he's just got a little hairpin and he unlocks himself very easily and that's the end of that <laughs> <laughs> and of course that would the be the is, trap I would choose yes yeah that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's my favourite yes. one yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just chained to radiator with with escape easily within my grasp. Yes. Thank you very much. I don't know. I don't know why I didn't go for that in the first place. I was going straight for the fingers. Straight for the fingers. Yep. I rip up my fingers. They could do an awful lot with voice recognition software these days. I am absolutely fine. But you know, also, ugh, no, get me out of this this death trap. Anything else you want to say about this? The closing shot. Shank gets away. Mm. Seek is yelling because his dad's been killed. Uh, I don't know that this movie's done well enough to automatically trigger a sequel, but if it did, what areas do you think they could improve upon? And would you like to see that? Would you like to see different characters? Would you like to see the further adventures of Shank and Seek? What would you like? I would not be opposed to more films in the Saw canon. I don't really care about Shank, (laughs) to be honest. He's not as compelling as Jigsaw for me. And to be perfectly honest, I would really want, if we were to see another film in this franchise, I would want new new filmmakers to come in. It's starting to feel a little old now. It feels a bit outdated. That that I know that they were trying something different with the sort of detective thriller template, but it felt a bit like, you know, all the sort of ramp edits, this, the little speedy, camera moves just feel very like mid noughties don't they they feel it feels a bit like the world's moved on from that sort of stuff 
Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I mean, look, I, I, I will never be first in line for a Saw movie because, like I say, I'm, a, I'm a faint and delicate flower, and I worry that you know bad things are going to happen to people in them. And I, I prefer movies with puppies and I don't know flowers or something. Puppies bringing me flowers, playing in flowers. I don't mind. But, uh, but yeah, I, I do think there is the potential here to do something sharper and cleverer next time. And I think that could be really special. I feel like if they've taken on board some of the criticisms of this film and just taken on board the way of the world, I think this could really kind of improve and, and get a bit more uh, meaningful, maybe as it goes forward. In the same way that, like I say, the Purge series, I think, has done a little bit while while mm-hmm. still being a, a, a series about, you know, loads of people going crazy with weapons uh, one night. It's also now a series that's about a little bit more than that. And I think there there is maybe room to do something similar here. But that's also coming from basically one voice, which is the guy who created the purge, James DeMonaco. And this has so many different voices. And for me, the quality does drop off once Lee Wanell in particular, who wrote the first three, leaves. James Wan, I don't know how big a creative voice he's been in the Saw movies, certainly since Saw 2. Lee Wanell basically leaves with Saw 3. Uh, Bowsman leaves with Saw 4 and then after that it is diminishing returns and it's about the traps becoming the traps for traps sake and gore for gore's sake and uh, this this felt just a little bit for me makes me sound terrible but whilst I enjoyed some of the traps and some of the dilemmas of the traps you're a monster I am a monster what can I say uh, it felt a little bit as John says that we'd been there and done that mm. a little bit what the movie wasn't for me and this is surprising is that it wasn't funny. And I thought there's a couple of little sly gags every now and again. There's a couple of little meta references. There's a reference to New Jack City, which, of course, Chris Rock was in. There's that Forrest Gump riff that, with which he starts the movie. There's little Pulp Fiction references studded all the way through, even down to our hero's name, you know, Ezekiel. There's all that sort of stuff in there. But when I spoke to Chris Rock for this movie, you know, he said that basically one of the impetuses, is that the right word? One of the... One of the impetai? Um, I don't know. Impetai? <laughs> impetus, impetai. One of the driving forces behind the movie was just a conversation he was having with his friends, you know, going, oh, wouldn't it be funny if you had a comedian in a horror movie, but you played it completely straight? And I do wonder if it would have benefited more from it being a bit more Chris Rocky. Mm. and having a bit more of his personality and his comedic persona and his wit shine through a little bit and, yeah. and react a little bit more to the absurdity and the outlandishness of these traps, these situations that he, in which he found himself. Because there's there's probably a way to combine his particular brand of comedy and, and with a sort of cynicism of a hard-baked cop. I feel like there is probably mm. a middle ground there that you could mm. get. Um, and yeah, maybe that would have maybe that would have been fun is probably the wrong word, but effective. Effective. I'm not. I'm also not talking parody. I'm not talking no, no, of broad not. parody. We're not talking Hubie Halloween. I mean, I can't be taught. <laughs> oh God, Chris! So don't even go near Hubie Halloween. But don't try and go for Love at First Bite or or something like that. What I'm talking about is just have a little bit more wit, a little bit more pizzazz. If you want to drop Chris Rock into a movie like this, drop Chris Rock into a movie like this. Hmm. And don't just have him play, you know, a character could be played by anybody, um, which is where, where I feel they, they ended up with Seek. Um, and he's not going to be, if he's been in another one, he's not going to have much in the way of levity. He's just watched his dad being shot to death by a whole bunch of people. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Tough one to get over, I would say. Anyway, 
On that note, I think that is it for our spiral from the Book of Saw spoiler special. As ever, thank you so much for listening to this. It really does mean a lot that you guys subscribe. Keep in peel for our next spoiler specials. And if you don't already listen to the regular award-nominated Empire podcast, it's out every single Friday on your regular feed. And that is free, 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 free. Unlike these ones. But you know that because you subscribe, for which we thank you. Anyway, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from my two colleagues of such lethal cunning squadcast names, John Nugent Kramer. See, this sounds like a confession. This whole podcast has been a confession. <laughs> John Nugent. Goodbye. Goodbye, John. What are you off to do now? As uh, a lawyer, John, I advise you not to answer. <laughs> I'm off to play a game. And the game is Super Mario. Hooray! <laughs> it's a lovely game. Someone needs to take that fucker down. Anyway, oh, sorry, went full Wario there for a second. Uh, it's goodbye from Sod's Law. Very good. Working on two levels. Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. Toodaloo. And it's goodbye from me, Pigsaw or Sopico. I will accept either. Uh, I'll tell you what I'm not off to do. I'm not off to pull myself off in the bath because this movie has taught me the dangers inherent in that. Oh, yes, folks. <laughs> That's what the guy does. He gets in the bath and pulls himself off. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.